0: Thank you for tuning in to the Good Grief, Good God Show, a show featuring raw, honest conversations about surviving things that suck, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy Award-winning hit songwriter Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. The shows available in audio and video, with new episodes monthly on the first and third Tuesdays. I'm producer Matt Pivotow. Before we begin, allow me first to formally introduce today's guest, one of the most well-respected counselors in country music, who's played a big role in Brad's life by walking him through his early days of marital dysfunction and addiction, to most recently the tragic death of his son in May of 2020. Executive Director and Founder of Porter's Call, Al Andrews. Porter's Call is a Nashville-based nonprofit counseling center offering counseling services for professional recording. For more information about Al, Brad, and the show, check the description or visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com where you'll find the catalog of episodes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter to be the first to know about upcoming episodes plus more. Lastly, please do us a huge favor and help support the show by sharing with your friends and hitting that subscribe button. Here's a one-minute preview of what you can expect from today's episode, followed by episode one of the Good Grief Good God Show. What I, what I think is just wild about
1: what you're talking about is that the entry point into a a free life is admitting that it's hard here. It's admitting that life is hard. It's admitting that grief is real because there's a grief on walking into an A A meeting. There's a grief of things you've lost. And there's a grief in walking to that group of men who've lost children. And what happens afterwards, you're comforted,
2: but also you can offer comfort that's when you're comforted the most. And I hate like, I am so not the guy who was born with the, the ability to say that, right? I'm not that. But literally, the time I feel the best is when I can be, especially someone in grief. I did it with alcohol, with, the, with recovery, you know, and, and it was something to help people. But when I can help someone else in this thing, it literally, I get a full breath. It's the only time you get a full breath. So I'm like, it's pretty easy. D- do your thing, run to the fire, don't run away from it. Al Andrews. Brad, author, therapist, and uh, the the founder of Porter's Call, which um, I guess if you're in a certain segment of the Nashville music business, you absolutely know what Porter's Call is. Yep. I'm sorry, I did that part of that to you. And then, <laughs> if, and then if you're not, you have no idea what Porter's Call is. Yeah, tell us what Porter's Call is, Al. Well, Porter's Call is a nonprofit
1: that offers free counsel and support to recording artists. So anybody who is an artist and that's their job, that's their most of their income, whether they're signed or not signed, but if they do it for a living uh, and they're an artist, they can come to get help and counsel for free, um, much as they want. And needless to say, we're pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm intrinsically aware of Porter's Call because we go back. We'll get into that in a second. We go back. But there are occasionally the questions to me, so someone will say, "Here, I'll tell you my answer, and then you can tell me if I'm right. But someone will say to me, well, why do you counsel people for free that are rich and famous? And I said, okay, let me explain to you my take on that. 90% of the people going to get that counseling are up-and-coming artists that are far from rich and famous. Oh, Absolutely. And the other ten percent wind up giving so much money to, to to keep it running that that it's not free for them. It's you know it's kind of a gift, but it's the I'd, I'll tell you this. So maybe getting a little bit into how we came about. I guess it was was it twenty years ago? About it, maybe yeah, eighteen. Yeah, probably close to twenty. Something like twenty years ago. Um, I was a chocolate mess uh, in every way you can imagine, and um, my brother told me about this this Christian counselor, which I almost didn't go because it said Christian, but I but this this therapist that you could go and, and if you were a recording artist you got to go for free and I was and at the time I've told you this before at the time I'm uh I'm we're a struggling artist just signed to rca records but not making any money and uh I'm paying two hundred dollars a session to some Jackass marriage, their marriage counselor, who's (laughs) totally pistol whipping me every time we go. in. Who's probably watching this. (laughs) I I couldn't remember who they were, but maybe I was still buzzed. I don't know. But whatever it was, I was going in and paying someone to, to just beat me up emotionally in every way. It was horrible. And then I was lying completely to him or her, whoever it was. It was more than one. And just lying to them. And my, when my brother called and said, hey, this guy will, will counsel recording artists for free. I went, I can go lie to this guy for free. I mean, <laughs> if I'm going to try to pull one over, I can do this for free. For you know? free, it's a lot better to do it that way. So I went in. And honestly, that that was the reason that I went. Because I didn't, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, at, at least there's, I have nothing to lose financially. And we went in, and I'm—I'm I'm sure you remember. I don't—I don't know if you remember, but I literally, like remember. I sat down, and we started talking, and I had the guard up, and I was a raging, func- semi-functioning alcoholic, drug user, which I didn't pick up
1: on at the time. But anyway, you didn't. Well, you know, you've taught me some things since then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the signs, like if he's twitching and he smells like booze, maybe there's yeah, something wrong. It takes wrong. me a while
1: to learn things like that.
2: Oh, but Al, there's so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, as, as we were talking about that, that the reason we are free um, is because, as you said, so many people come early in their career. They're getting going and who can pay for that? And then we started thinking, well, what about the people who make millions a year or a week or whatever? And we thought, we would love to be a place where people like that can come to, and we could be one place that didn't benefit from their income, from their money. The
2: only place, the probably. The only place. They get to go.
1: And, and our, our, there's more than mm-hmm. once somebody that's, you know, well-known or has lots of money, I remember one time someone came in and they said something like, um, we talked for probably two hours, and at the end they said, well, so how much do I owe you? And I go, well, it's free. Went, no, no, no. How much do I owe you? It's been two hours. I went, it, it, it's free. And he goes, well, what, what do you mean? I go, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. It took a while. Like, I had to keep saying that. And finally, this person said, everybody makes money from me. And I was able to say, well, I don't. And I'm not going to ask you for any. This is free because, you know, it's That's a huge part of what
2: you do. I would never have gone if it wasn't free. And there's something that you're right. Everyone always wants something. Yeah. Yeah. And here, here's the thing. This is, you, you know, you can almost say this is paid for by people who have been helped. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. And, and, and
1: actually, the most of the money comes from people who make um, money from healthy artists. Uh, so most of the money comes from people in the industry who who benefit from healthy artists, and they finally see it as an investment in the artist. And so uh, often artists give back, but we've never asked for it.
2: Money's a funny thing, because even if you have it, the people asking for it, you just have a shield about it. It's a strange yeah. thing. And I know that when when we went, whatever, the, the, the back on our story, I... You weren't a drug and alcohol guy. I needed a drug and alcohol guy. Yeah, well. But you were, like, you were my friend right away. It is funny. It's God's little joke that you work with all these famous people and you can't talk about it. <laughs> um, it's funny, but I know the people that you've helped, that you continue to help. But at the time, it was just an unknown thing. But we, so you were just some guy sitting across the, the table, that, you know, and I'm, something in me made me go to marriage counseling. I guess I was trying to save my marriage in some way, but not very hard and not yeah. doing very well. And I remember leaving and going, that guy just liked me for who I, and he, and I started thinking to myself, he knows I'm lying. So how much do you, do you drink, Brad? Oh, a couple beers on the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, Uh, you've
1: taught me that if somebody says a couple of beers, they mean a six pack or two,
2: (laughs) but it's kind of like a rehab budget on your house. And when you're going to redo your house twice as much, twice as long. I mean, whenever someone says they're having a couple beers, it's like a couple beers an hour. <laughs> but you know, I I remember that day
1: really clearly because I remember uh, seeing you guys, uh, your your brother and you, on the schedule, and I went, that's different because <laughs> I've been watching the. Reality. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Which I think might have been what brought you in. But anyway. That was kind I, of the icing on the a, alcoholic cake.
2: <laughs> and like, it's too much.
1: But but I remember you coming in and I, I remember going, thinking, I really do like this guy. And whatever that is going to mean, um, you know, the, it, it did mean something. Because I think there's something about that day and the days following where we made this really odd connection, odd, wonderful connection that still remains and got to see through a lot.
2: And takes us through how many turns that have we <clears throat> been able to go through. But yeah, I'm I'm so thankful for that. And um, as we're talking about this wonderful thing in God, I had to say that like I have a, a, I'll call it a bullshit meter. Sorry, mom. Um, that just pings with something and uh people in your line of work boy they send that thing to 100 and uh you just didn't ping it at all you're uh, you know it just wasn't like there was literally uh no pinging of the bullshit meter and i'm like this guy is for real and you I, I don't i'm not even sure what denomination you are i feel god with you and it's this denominationless wonderfully generic god that that loves me and you know kind of the way you did um i'm i have a quote I'm going to try to have a quote for every guest I have on this. I'm a, as you know, I'm a bit of a quote collector. And um, so I just looked through and uh, this quote is for my new friend, Matthew McConaughey. Um, <clears throat> this is actually, I, I, I saw this written in my notes and I couldn't remember who wrote it. I just had M.M. after it. So I had my wife look, to, look the quote up and she's like, oh, it's Matthew McConaughey. I'm like, oh, it's from his book. Anyway, this is the quote that I thought of that I brought today for you. Uh, when we truly latch on to the fact that we are going to die at some point in time, we have more presence in this life. And um, I have learned that from you. Uh, I don't think you're meaning to, I don't think we tried to talk about death or prepare ourselves for death, but but we did. You have helped me prepare myself for the moments that, I, that I'm that i living now, the moment that I lost my son. I mean, you spoke at his funeral. Um there was a lot leading up to that that kept this train from going off the track. Cause if I had still by the way, I may have already been dead if I had been using a drinking still. But if I had been alive, um, I always say I wouldn't have been that cute little alcoholic at the end of the bar that people that poor guy and pat him on the shoulder. I would have been in jail. I would have been making everyone's life miserable. So that the fork in the road that came when Sage passed, um, it was luckily the train was headed in the the right direction already, because if it hadn't been, <laughs> it'd have been ugly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, being associated with that quote is really kind of an honor, because I think one of the things that I do think about a lot is not necessarily death, but sorrow. Mm-hmm. It's just there in all of us, and in my in my work with people. Um, it's always something uh, I bring up at some point, not to be maudlin or just a downer, but just because I know it exists in everyone. And as much as I love joy, uh, I, I embrace sorrow too, because one doesn't live without the other, and we often pretend it does. And so I'm glad that somehow that came through, because uh, I, I don't know if it's a conscious, I'm gonna take him there, but it just, it, <laughs> which It was do, it wasn't. Know, but it's, it's, but it's, you, uh, it's always lingering do. there to, to kind of go. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's just not a popular thing to talk about, but I think it's a fairly, I mean, it's easier for it to just be a part of your life and a part of a conversation without having to go, all right, we got to go
2: here, you know, it was, I think, okay, so we did an event where you you spoke on um, a beatitude, blessed are they that mourn, and, yeah. and you kind of addressed that thing. And it's funny, when I was just writing a few things down about that, I wrote sorrow equals joy. And I don't think sorrow equal. well, I, hell, I don't know. Maybe sorrow does equal joy. But I know that you introduced me to the concept mm-hmm. that if you get into that place, so like you can't, I can't choose, if I could go back and be an, an average husband and an average father and an average friend and an average relationship with God, but still have my son here, I would take that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not up to me. That, that that ship has sailed. I don't have him. So the gifts of of lo- losing him have made me a better husband, father, friend, uh, recovery person, everything, literally everything. So although I would love to go back and take another swing at the plate at everything that's there, I can't do that. Therefore, I have no choice but to delve into all the crap that you've said to me over these years. And man, it's been useful. I'm so, <laughs> and I don't think that you were preparing me for that. And I was, certainly wasn't preparing for that. But that, will you talk about the beatitude thing? Cause it was really, it really had an effect on me. And I, I wound up using it a lot later. Sure. I,
1: you know, often if if people come to a counselor, they
2: don't come because they're feeling great. Uh, they, they, we always say in recovery that no one shows up here on a winning streak <laughs>
0: <Yeah. You laughs> know <what> I mean? <laughs> true
2: and so eventually
1: you, you know i i think i'm a counselor i was a counselor because i i love stories i love telling stories i love hearing stories and i love the stories of people's lives and a story if you look at this the shape of a story it always starts out in innocence you, know, you watch a movie and it's Yeah, and and you know it's going to be a scary movie. You watch the movie and people are just frolicking in the woods, and you're going, Oh no, it's coming. You don't have one note on the piano that gives it away. Yeah, you you go, They're just frolicking, having a good time. But you go, Even if you don't know it's a scary movie, you go, Something's going to happen because that's what happens in a story and that's what happens in a life. So we eventually have to go to some difficult places. And, and, I can't tell you the number of times, and I probably said it too when I was in counseling, why do we have to go here? It's over. It's done. It happened years ago. Let's move on. And I, and I often, depending on who they are, if they're a person of faith, I usually say, well, because Jesus, Jesus says to. And they go, what? You know, I, I pull out the Jesus card because yeah. you know, people listen. <laughs> but but the, the J card. The J card. <laughs> I should have one. <laughs> but... But I'll say, because um, you need to mourn, blessed are those who mourn, he says. Why? Because they will be comforted. And my assumption is, and those who choose not to mourn will not be, will not experience the comfort. And that usually, sometimes it makes people go, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) But but sometimes it's a little harder pressed, because that's often a hard thing to accept, because who likes to go there? No one. It's it's not, but it's it's like, who needs to go there? Everyone. And it's kind of opening the door to the fact that that is a normal part of life that is not spoken of. In fact, it's spoken again.
2: It's kind of like stretching or what yoga, whatever it is. It's, yeah. I, I know it's good for me. I just don't want to do it. It's right. like just gifts. It's going to make me feel better all day if I'll stretch, but, and I'll do a bunch of other physical activities, but I don't want to do that 10, 15 minutes of stretch. It's that, that's where sorrow is. It's like just getting into it. Once I, once you get into that thing, I'll be honest, I was comforted in those weeks right after Sage's death, more than I've ever been comforted in my life. There was a place, uh, that I got in my psyche it was strange and crazy and it made me emotional not just about the loss but it made me emotional about the kindness of people I'm like wow this is crazy and and it was almost like a, this is your life this is what happens when the dude who hits the fan for you because of these great people in your life and that comfort so some comfort came from people most came from people some comfort came from god i i met a new god i mean same god i had met a new path to God with this. And it was, a, there was no dogma in the path and there was no fundamentalism in the path. And there may be fun that all that in someone else's path, but my path became this really generic, wonderful, broad, wide, graceful God that wasn't pissed off at me and wasn't trying to punish me. Um, and it didn't blame me for, for things. And it's, I mean, there are, there have been, that's, a, that's one of the gifts. I, I always talk about the gifts and And loss. And that's one of them. And I I think it started, the foundation of that started when I heard you talk about mourning and sorrow and joy that comes from doing that, which is crazy talk.
1: If we took a clip of this last 60 seconds of you talking, when you started talking about what happened when I mourned, I found this, I found friends, I found God in a new way, a door is opened. If you just play that, to somebody and say, what do you think? They'd say, oh, that's amazing. And I'd go, well, do you know what led to that? Probably the deepest grief he's ever known.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: And that led to that. Go figure. And I would never say that to someone on who was just hit with grief and sorrow because they would probably hit me. <laughs> um, but but I, But I would know that, that that's where they're going. Um, and that's where they need to go. And that's what they'll find if they go. That's comfort that you just talked about.
2: And the idea is, so I I have this, I have this men's group, uh, dad's group. We, we get together once a month and it's dads who have lost children. Um, and it's the group you don't want to be a member of. Uh, but the part of it that we can't control, the part of it that's distasteful that we don't like has already happened. Um, so it's, we're in that whether we want to or not. So it is kind. Of, it kind of comes to, and, and everyone has something. I, everyone doesn't have this this rough, but everyone has something. And if you're already in that club, why not share it with other people? Why not go find the benefit of it? Because there's, there's gold in those hills uh, of those mountains of mourning or whatever they are. And why not go get that? It's, I'll be honest. I'm glad, this is going to sound crazy. I'm glad I'm an alcoholic. I found more benefit in recovery than I would have found if I hadn't had the ailment to start with. Yeah. like I needed this. First of all, I'm a selfish prick. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a a, a, huge ego, tiny self-esteem. I'm scared of everything. I want to be all everything that no, I have all those things. If I didn't have the alcohol gene, Um, the addictive gene, I may have never had to sit down and go, hey, it's not about you. It's not about you. You're not the piece of shit the world revolves around. Stop being the—I'm either either the the victim or the assassin. I'm either on the ceiling or the floor. And, like, being an alcoholic has caused me to have to learn to live on a five. Be in the middle. Be a worker among workers. What I I think is just
1: wild about what you're talking about is that um, the entry point— into a, a free life is admitting um, that it's hard here. It's admitting that life is hard. It's m- admitting that grief is real, because there's a grief on walking into an a, a meeting. There's a grief of things you've lost and um, all that. But um, and there's a grief in walking to that. Um, sp- group of men who've lost children it's like and what happens afterwards you're comforted but also
2: you can offer comfort that's when you're comforted the most and i hate that i am so not the guy who was born with the, the ability to say that right i'm not that but literally the time i feel the best is when i can be especially someone in grief I did it with alcohol, with, the, with the recovery, you know, and and it was something to help people. But when I can help someone else in this thing, it literally, oh, I get a full breath. It's the only time you get a full breath. So I'm like, it's pretty easy. D- do your thing. Run, run to the fire. Don't run away from it. Do what you're do what you're supposed to do. And I will literally get some relief. Um, so I, I, how did? I, it's funny. I know part of your this story. but Like, how did you get into the, like what? How did you? Porter's call, but before that, there was years of like, how, how did you get into this? Why do you think you're, why do you think you're called? Because you are called, whether you like it or not, are called to do this. <laughs> we used to call you Moses behind your back. <laughs> um, no, I actually <laughs> called it to my face. The well, older we got, used to call it you behind your back. Now we do it. That's <laughs> because I've gotten gray in a beard. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got into this
1: from breaking down years and years ago of coming to the end of myself and uh just having a depression dealing with things that had happened in my life early on that i had not seen and beginning to grieve about that and getting help and i was just like i'm not getting help i don't need help andrews just don't need help and finally i got i needed help and in the process of that um i went i'm loving what's happening to me which is like loving all this grief that's coming my way. That was a release. It was a release. And I, um, I think I want to keep going with this. And so that, that led me to go to school and then led me to private practice and, in a little stint teaching in a counseling program and then coming here and then seeing a few artists and realizing something needed to be different than a normal counseling hour. And Porter's Call evolved and has more people than just me there, but but that's it. I got into it with my own breaking down, with my own brokenness and my own losses.
2: i say most therapists are pretty screwed up. All of them. <laughs> All of us. All Although of them. It's us. like it Everybody, makes sense because— It's kind of the entry point. <laughs> so so the, the way—it's funny, my, my my dad's group, the way that started was—so I, so I go to recovery meetings. We'll keep it generic because you're not supposed to talk about certain <laughs> things. But we, I go to recovery meetings, and you talk to other people with a common ailment, a common enemy, whatever you want it to be. And so I was talking to a couple dads who had lost— Children at a breakfast. Just three. We just got together. Um, one I knew well. One I didn't know very well. And they were both talking about how they had been to some sort of session and heard from someone who had never lost a kid. And they were telling them, "Well, oh, do this and don't think that." And you know, and they were like, "Have you ever lost a child?" And the person was like, "No, I haven't." And they're like, "Well, I don't want to hear what you have to say then." And I was like, "Well, it's kind of like someone telling you not to drink that doesn't have a drinking problem. Like you don't have any idea what I'm, you know." So kind of based on. 12-step recovery and it's not twelve steppy, we just get together and talk. But literally having a room full of of men that have the same and that's something that this our generation I feel like is better about. There's a plenty of complaints to be made for the generation that's coming up. They're, they play video games and they're lazy and they're entitled and whatever it might be. But man, they men get together and talk. Mm-hmm. And 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 that just didn't happen with at least with my parents. Like, and it sounds so um I don't know. Even though if it doesn't sound cool, I don't know what sounds cool. Whatever, I don't care. When men get together and talk and are honest about their crap, like yeah. good things happen. You get healthier. And uh, I was from the you know we we're good Southern Baptist, man. We buried that shit. We like don't. We were not. We were not talking about you know. You know, you know how how universal
1: that is. We're not gonna go there because we're gonna be happy. And it's it's sort of like I I. When you talk about, gosh, we have something in common, I want to just pull out a bit uh, the the big scale. If I look out at everyone I know and everyone I don't know, we have something in common. Um, we've experienced joy and we've experienced sorrow. Everybody has that in common. I have this little theory that I made up in so, whatever. Um, the that, book of Al. The book. <laughs> they're going to
2: actually, I which talked Which is one people, page. They're going <laughs> to add a book to the Bible, and it's going to be the book of Al. No, 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 it's no. The New it's, New Testament. It's a little
1: leaflet Sorry. that you can hand out <laughs> that people will throw away. But in the book of Al, uh, <laughs> I kind of like, I'll call it the book of Al and Brad. Um, <laughs> I really believe that there is this stream of sorrow that flows in all of us down deep. And... You know, it's there when you go to a movie and something happens and you tear up. And I go, it's not just the movie. It's not just the story. It's the fact that I think whatever happened that made you cry in that movie is sending down a taproot into that stream. You're You're not crying about just that movie. You're crying about something else. And I go, if it happens, I go, pay attention to it. See if you can follow the trail, because it's always about something else. You know, I, often I'll listen to a piece of music and tears will come to my eyes. And it's happened frequently enough to where when it happens, I go, there it is. And I'm not sure what it is, but there it is. It's not just sad, but it's something that moves me. So I think tears are out there and, and sorrow is out there. But if, if you look around at our culture, um, it. It's it's not – this is an odd conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not – but if you look around our culture or or if you just start with families, often I'll ask someone somewhere in the – early in the conversations, hey, tell me if there's a sentence or a phrase that would explain how you are trained by example in sadness and grief and sorrow <laughs> – Um, and you wouldn't believe what I, I mean, in in my own family, uh, it would be, I wasn't trained. Yeah. well, Well, but you were, in other words, you were trained in, and by that is you're trained to say it doesn't exist or it's not for us. My family had the loveliest parents in the world, positive people, fun, enjoyable. And my dad was 19 years old on Omaha beach and went through the war and saw so much And when he came out of the war, I I know he had PTSD and lots of trauma, but I know for a fact that he committed, he had seen and had enough pain, and he committed to giving us a joyful life, and he did. And it was beautiful, comma, um, we just didn't go there. It was more like, the son come up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And, And it's a sweet thing, and I don't, have any animosity yeah. or yeah, anger yeah. at that. But I, but I realized that's someplace I needed to go, and it took a while to go there. But when I asked that question, most people respond like you did. We weren't trained
2: because— Well, I have to, I'll have i have to say, I had unbelievable parents. Oh, yeah. I had a, a Christian, sober upbringing of people who loved me to yeah. death. I am have th- three siblings that I'm unbelievably close to, uh, to this— to this day. Uh, my dad is gone, but my mom is here. And I mean, I've had great parents. Yeah, um, And it wasn't like they weren't trying to do that. I don't even know exactly how you do it. Now m- my kids have talked about it more because they've had to. Yeah. So the two that I have that are still with me on earth have had to talk about, and by the way, one of them is, is very open to talk about it. The other one's not so open about it. They're different. Um, we didn't have a specific reason to talk about it, but, I, and I even, not even so much my actual parents, but the culture of the the church we were in and how, how I got to think about, I, I have to be careful in myself because because of my re- new relationship with God is, is a little bit dogma-free. I start looking at church, the business part of church, and I don't like it. And I don't necessarily think that God does, but I, I don't want to get, I want to be quick to see where religious people are right. But I also don't want to get caught up in What's going on there? But the idea that in our church, if you had a problem, you hid that problem. If you smoked cigarettes, you hid smoking cigarettes. No kidding. This is a true story. In the church we went to, there's a guy who obviously smoked cigarettes because he smelled like them and he, you know, he had yellow teeth and he smoked cigarettes. And somebody saw him in a car from the church and he was had his window down and he was smoking a cigarette. His name was J.D. I don't remember his last name. I can't remember his name. I was a little kid. I remember this. And um, somebody saw him and he saw them and he was smoking a cigarette from the church. So that Sunday morning, he got up and gave a testimony about how he was trying to get rid of this habit he had of chewing chalk, <laughs> like that he, he loved to chew on chalk and he needed to stop doing that. And he literally... Try to convince these people that he was chewing chalk, so they wouldn't think he was smoking cigarettes. No, it's it's kind like of like why snorted here. like why do Why don't they? Um, uh, why don't uh, Baptists have sex standing up? Because they think you're dancing. Because some of think they're dancing. <laughs> uh, I mean, we would we go to extremes to hide things that are just like you smoke a cigarette. I'm not. By the way, it's it's not healthy for you. And neither is chocolate. But I was raised in a place where you just weren't allowed to do certain things. And if you did, by the way, here's another thing. You weren't allowed to leave our church. If someone left our actual church, they were kind of the enemy. We didn't really say it, but it was like, hey, they they left the church. By the way, they went to another church and they're still great people. They just decided to go somewhere else. Um, And we were kind of raised with this. If there was, you just hid your shortcomings and, um, it's funny because I knew that we were, you know, it's funny when when I knew that we had a, I had a drug problem, when I stopped hiding it. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we've just gotten too much to hide. I'm just kind of out in the open with it. So there is some element of that that still lives them, but it it is it's difficult to deal with something that you're trying to hide from people. And I, and I think we hide our grief. Yeah, and that, that's
1: back to that. It, it's, it's where I had our grief, uh, my own dad, uh, fifty years after the war. Uh, he embraced grief, and we went back there, and he. You went back to Normandy. To Normandy with him on the 50th anniversary, and um, he grieved. And uh, he was 70 then. He died when he chills. was 93. And and so, uh, you know, it, it was it was a beautiful thing, and it it opened some doors for me too. But um, it's it, it's you know back to the reason we don't blame our parents, first of all, my kids are going to go to counseling and it's okay. And so, so no parent is perfect, but um, I understand, I understand why um, and why he gave us such a good life um, and why I didn't want to go there for a good long while. I I get it. Uh, And especially in in that generation, it was just different. It's, we're going to be positive. They've gone through some hard things, but you know, we're we're just not taught to go there.
2: I think too we don't talk about it because it doesn't seem like it's tough. Well, let me just tell you, it's much harder for me to sit here with you and talk about this than it is for me to act like I'm tough and not talk right. to anyone. That's now I could feel like crap though the whole time that I'm not talking about it, but I could do that. It's not difficult for me to just not talk about um What's going on? That would be that would be the easy way. The tough thing for me is to sit down here and actually talk about it. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because, man, when this first happened with me, I would have given anything for a conversation that was raw, honest, allowed for someone one of the people in the conversation to be a bit of an idiot like me, <laughs> and the other the other person to give me some help. But literally, just a conversation about uncomfortable things. And um, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable is, is one of the gifts that I kind of uh, getting out of this thing. And, and you making people comfortable with the uncomfortable is one of your gifts. Yeah. And, you know,
1: uh, there's another uncomfortable thing, especially um, in deep grief. Well, The uncomfortable thing is being with a person in grief and not saying anything, but just being there, being present, um, which speaks. Because frankly, we don't really know what to say because there's nothing to say. I, there's a grief that you know that I don't know. And I, can't, I know some things around it, but I don't know it. I, I do not know it. But I love you, and I can sit beside you and hug you during those days. And, and I don't need to say, I remember one time a, a friend came to me and um he his little daughter died of sids in his arms and he could not revive her and when he came to sit down with me um he said do not tell me that god's going to use this do not tell me that or i will leave cuz he could have found a better way to teach me a lesson and and i uh, he was bigger than me so i i didn't go there <laughs> but but I understand what he said, and what he will say now, 20 years later, is, oh, yeah, God used it, and he's not mad at him for that. But in the moment, that's just such a shutdown, I would think. God's well, going to use you'd... this. Your... Yep. Yeah. Well, okay.
2: You, you know that you don't know the same grief. And the, the problem with, you know, there are people that meaning well, but people will say, oh, I know how you feel. I, my cat died last week. Or even I lost my parent. Mike, not the same thing. It's like the difference between shooting a bullet and throwing one. It's just, and and I, you know, it's not, it's no contest for like who's great, but it, there are things, but, but knowing that you don't know, I get a lot of comfort from my, 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 dads that have lost, I mean, a lot of comfort from, from those dads, but I also get comfort from my friends who haven't, that, that know they don't know. And they let me vomit my emotions on them. And, and I get comfort from a guy, you know, this is, it's ironic uh, because the, I can't, yell at God and go, you don't know how this feels. He does. I'm like, oh boy, he really picked the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let it happen to him. Whoa. So I can't go, you don't know how this feels. Oh he, I, he yes, does I do. know how it feels. Yes, I do. Um and it's 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 funny because I've never been um a big like have, have I, well first of all we were we were raised in this church where the, the rapture, I don't know if you remember the rapture talk all the time. I came home from school and was literally expecting nobody'd be there. <laughs> All the time. If my mom was in the backyard, I'd be free. Oh my God, the rapture happened. We're, they showed us this movie called A Thief in the Night when we were <gasps> little kids. I had a nightmare I was 30 about the thief in the night. And the, a thief in the night stole my childhood is what it did. And it was a thief for it. So the terror of like death, what was gonna happen after the judgment? Oh God, don't say that. That's the unforgivable sin. You can't use the Lord's name. Was, who hasn't used the Lord's name in vain accidentally at some point? it's the un unfor- i was taught if you say gd you're going to hell no forgiving no way no way around that literally that was kind of part of the thing um we were taught if you committed suicide you you've committed murder as your life i just don't buy into that who had a worse day than the person that committed suicide um who how gracious is this? so I, my my mother is an unbelievably great woman in the christian to the Nth degree, and she's a giver and all the good things. But we some of the fundamentalism was there. And there are some people that we care about that have some beliefs that we wouldn't tend to believe. And I said, so do you think they're going to hell? something that I would have been taught. And she said, I don't know, which is a love I don't know. Says, we're all growing. And even my 78-year-old mother, who's almost perfect. Um, and I said, would you, do you think they're going to hell? She said, I don't know. I would love to hear more preachers say I don't know. Instead of telling me who's going to hell all the time, it bugs the crap out of me. Um, just, I don't know. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If you had, and these are good people. They just have some beliefs that we don't have. Good, good people. And I said, um, if you had the the switch, if you were the, the switch flipper uh, for the electric chair or the the Dr. Evil hell drop, would you flip the switch and send them there? And she said, no, no, of course I wouldn't. And I said, don't you think God has more grace than you do? And she was like, okay. And and there was pro- by the way, my mom knows the Bible backwards and forwards. When I have a question, I call her and I get it from her. I'm grateful for the the knowledge and information. But we, and I don't just mean you and I, or me and my mom, or me and my siblings, or the people I know, but we, as in a culture, are have grown up a certain way. Um, and and if we grew up Muslim, we have a certain belief system. I grew up Baptist, we have a certain belief system. My wife grew up Catholic; she has a certain. We are raised with that with that ailment sometimes of that knowledge. And the the deal is, I'm not sure, I'm trying to strip away the things that man created to go along with this God thing and say, all of these differences, there's 17 major denominations or something. Somebody's wrong about something. I mean, if there's only 160,000 people going to heaven, I am screwed. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to wipe away dogma from the process. And that has happened since losing something because I feel so attached to the other side. I feel so attached to someone. There's someone on the other side of this life that I want to see just as bad as anyone I want to see on this side. And that is a new thing. And so I always say, I'm not, I'm not playing in traffic, you know, trying, I'm not trying to die, but I'm no longer afraid of it. And that's a gift. It's crazy to go through life, not being afraid to die.
1: Well I think what you've become aware of is you need to ask your mother where the scripture is where this bible verse is She'll know. eternity it says eternity is written in your heart um, your your heart knows eternity and now your heart knows it better eternity is written in your heart and that's what you've experienced by leaning into grief and I you know I think the question that you know, I, I don't know a lot of people that were trained in grief, if you will, by example. But I, 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 I think I wanted in our home, our, our home with my wife and my boys to try to learn how to embrace it um, and try to um, be open to that. So when a hamster died <laughs> and my son brought him in with a little tear in his eye his hamster, we just, we just comforted them. We just said, oh, it's hard, isn't it? See, in it? my
2: family, we ate the hamster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, there's, I knew there was something we hadn't we talked We really about. did raise
2: rabbits <laughs> oh. in our backyard and ate them. And we would take Snowball to show and tell at school and then eat it for dinner the next week. So there is some trauma. The, the, I mean, the, the, the the main, childhood wasn't so great after yeah, sure.
1: The main point is never to name
2: animals that you eat. <laughs> I mean, by the way, we called them all Snowball. Okay, We know they were good. all cool. <laughs>
1: that's good. But, you know, it, it's interesting. I, as I think back, I go, I remember very distinctly when our boys were like 13 and 10 when our dog died. Um, at the vet's office because he was and the boys were with me in his little office emergency office room waiting room filled with people we were in there and they took our dog back to get x-rays and he a came dog in. is different than a hamster I yeah mean, it is it, it is yeah totally but they brought him back in and or they the doctor came back in and said um your dog's died and i and my boys were standing there and i knew that this was going to be a critical moment what i did i, I just i knew it it was like there and so i just kind of opened my arms and they leaned in and we wailed we wailed because you know boys and their dogs me yeah, and the dog yeah. 14 they, they'd never known life without this dog and we wailed and wailed went out in the waiting room And the whole waiting room was crying (laughs) because everybody knew. But we went home, pulled down the shades um, for the weekend. It was Friday. Buried him, put little things in his, like Egyptians do, (laughs) in his casket, little cardboard casket, and talked about him at dinner. And I called our priest uh, Saturday night and said, we're coming in hot. (laughs) And so when they went up to communion, he prayed for them and, you know, prayed for Thatcher and, you know, and it was, I think that weekend they learned how to grieve my death, the beginnings yeah. of learning that. And and I I, I, I say that just because I, I, I want to keep learning what it means to embrace sorrow, to hold on to it um, because it's not an enemy, it's a friend, uh, to let it be a friend, let it be a family member, invite it to the table. Um, it's in the house. You know it's in your house. And it's never going to go, but it can have a seat at the table as a friend. And I don't even know what I mean when I say that. No, but I, I, I like totally it.
2: get it because that thing with the dog, here's here's what happened. And my my dad was a man's man. I love him. He was Grizzly Adams. There was something really cool about like yeah. Being raised by this guy that just didn't, did, did, if he felt pain, he just, no, nah, you just ignore it. I mean, you just, just literally. Um, and Boom. he didn't cuss, but he would say the P word to describe what we were being if we weren't being tough. You get what I'm saying? Uh, and But he never cussed. I mean, super good Christian guy. But that particular, he would use that word if we were, if he thought we were being that word. So being tough
1: means you don't cry. There,
2: he had a rule when he spanked us, which I was holding, that's a whole different conversation. I don't know. I don't know. Um, my my hunch is you got it a lot. <laughs> oh my lord! God, can you imagine? Yes. He used to come home and spank Brett and and just ask him later what he did. He knew he was going to need a spanking. You know, it's like, just, let me just spank you. Get out of the way now. What, what did you do today? um Yeah, we got it a lot, but we weren't allowed to cry during the spanking. He said if you cry, there's going to get extra swats. But if you didn't, so that was kind of who we were. When our dog died, we just came home one day and the dog wasn't there. And he took the dog down to get his, put it to sleep. And by the way, that was the best information he had. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I I get time. it. but we didn't. And I honestly would kind of go, okay, so you take me, if, you know, let's say five years ago, Brad, even especially 20 years ago, Brad. And I'm like, you had a funeral for your dog? out. Oh, come on. Really? You talked to the priest about the dog? <laughs> I mean, I was a little bit thinking it now. No, I'm kidding. But the idea that you were prepping to, to, Face the loss that was coming. So when our dad, our dad died early; he was sixty years old. It was way too early. Um, and I, I mean, we, we, I grieved him, but I didn't grieve him with any sort of help, mm-hmm. counseling. We luckily siblings, my mom, we we grieved it together. But I didn't. I would just be driving down the road six months later, just lose it for some reason. Not by the way, I don't think that's even such a bad thing. But I didn't. I never took the time to grieve it. So my dad's mom. My grandmother, she lost a child when she had two sons. She lost one when he was 12 to cystic fibrosis. And so my dad was her surviving child, and he died at 60. She was about 80, and she was super healthy when he died, and she died very soon after. <clears throat> I think she gave up on the will to live. Now, I was young, and I was an alcoholic, and I was whatever. A new recording artist trying to be, you anyway, know, Whatever. I can't speak for, and my, I talked to all of my family about this. Um, we did not take care of that woman. She lost both of her children, but you don't know until you know, like, I, I'm like, Oh my God, I would have been sucking, you know, um, I I can't wait to get to heaven and say, I am so sorry. We sucked at taking care of you. You you, I don't think you can say that in heaven because you're going to be like, oh, I don't remember that. I've already forgiven you. (laughs) you Actually, it's funny about heaven. You talk about it. My brother and I, you know, the Warren brothers, we write every song together. We've played every show together for like 25, 30 years. We finance everything together. This is totally off the subject, by the way. But we kind of, oh, I'll buy the smoothies today. You you drove, I'll buy the gas, oh, you tip the valet. We just kind of split everything loosely. We can't wait to get to heaven and see how close to even we are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like hey, give me the number. I like mean, who's up? Actually, I
1: think you found that in hell, so we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> Cause you would get mad one of you. Or hell, I can't whatever. It. Yeah.
2: We're there. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But you don't you don't know until you know. So it's not and isn't even cutting cutting down who we were, because that's how you get here, or cutting down how we were raised or whatever, to say, man, if I could go back, I would be unbelievably more uh attentive to my grandmother. I just didn't address it. Now I'll say this saves our son who passed. He was such a great grandchild. He he was so great to his grandparents, he took care of them. He checked on them, but like, like, and I, I, so somehow in the process of learning that I wasn't a very good grandchild to my grandparents, you think well, they're supposed to do the being good. Well, I'm just a kid. Right. But, uh, I mean, I was a young adult we just didn't take care of that, but taking that time and, and, and doing that would have been great. But since I didn't do that, I can do that for my children. Yeah. Hey, take care of your, and and they, they, they they do. And, and Sage, oh he did. He did. I didn't even need to tell him that. So the, you know, the, 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 the bearing that, I mean, literally, I think, I think maybe my dad shot the dog with it. He was sick, but I think he may have shot him himself. He said he took it to the vet and got it put to sleep. But no, my dad, if we had, if we had dug a deep enough hole somewhere, we probably would have come across a paw. Um, it was, Too far? Do I have to put a dollar in the too far jar? (laughs) But we just didn't, it wasn't something that you grieved. And I don't, I don't think it, I mean, like I I can already tell you what my kids are going to say to their therapist. A few of the the go-tos. I I know some of the go-tos. The word impatient is going to come up a lot. (laughs) I mean, there's no no doubt about it. You mean you've not changed yet? (laughs) No. I have changed a lot. This is me being impatient. This is the slower, more mellow, Jesus loving Brad. So can... Can you imagine? Yeah, you know, you know, what
1: strikes me, and as a, during this whole conversation, is that if if we were if you were to tell somebody we're gonna, Alan and I are gonna talk about grief today, they go, yeah, that's great. Um, but the fact that two things throughout this conversation um, are true, and that is, there's laughter and there's sorrow. And they're together, and we're not denying this by doing this. It's it's who we are. I, there's no one I like to laugh with more than you. You know, I just yeah, I do. And and I I feel the same about tears. I would I would like I like to do that with you when it happens,
2: and it happens. I'm so glad that I haven't cried because you're like Barbara Walters. You you literally make people cry. I gotta pull this one out. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, from this. I feel like I'm failing. Oh, no, <laughs> a, I agree. By the way, I I think that the idea that we can that we can't talk about them simultaneously is is a terrible idea because I don't want. Then you don't have to mellow your personality. I am an open book, so the laughter or the tears come when they come, and I'm just not you know not a, um, uh, opposed to either one. Um, I wanted to ask you before before we're done a couple of things. One of them is like in Porter's call, like a that someone that needs to go. They 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 call. I mean, how how does what is a day at Porter's call? You just have a, you have a schedule. When when I went, it was just a little bitty office, it was a little, it was just, just you. a little me. So now it's but this
1: big company. No, there's uh, yeah, it's um, I'm really the executive director now, which sounds really big and founder and all those things, which means I don't do a lot of counseling yeah. now or. Um, well, you have some phenomenal we, we, people. Yeah. We have phenomenal people there, and uh, people call in. We kind of look to be sure they fit the criteria to come because a lot of people call. And then we schedule them to meet with somebody as soon as we can. And if we can't meet them soon enough, we have a whole bunch of affiliate counselors, many of whom used to be artists, so they get it, that we send people to and we help them. Yeah, when you have drug and alcohol people... You call me, which is amazing. Oh, which you know, I I just want to tell how great it is. I remember the first time I called you, you went because I said something like, uh, "You're ready to do ministry" or something like that, or "You're ready to uh, serve." You're ready to serve or something like that. You went, "Yeah," and you came in, and this kid was just drinking a whole lot, but didn't think he had a problem. I remember what you said. You, You know, you don't think you have a problem yet, and that's okay, but. When you do, I'm not going to make you go to meetings or anything, but when you do, here's my phone number. I think it was a year later i called you back. And so it really is just.
2: It's a, lot. it's a gift. It doesn't seem strange now, but the first time, because I was such a mess when we met and then, you know, whatever, a decade passed. And, and when you were calling me, you said, Hey, I got these guys. And I, I mean, it's, it's such, now it's, it's more commonplace because I've been sober 17 years. It's been a long time, but it's um, it's so amazing how we've been able to like take this ride together. I'm, I'm just I'm just grateful to know you. Um, I, I have a question that I want to ask, and I don't know if I'm going to ask everybody that's that that I that I wind up doing this with, but um, today I want to ask it. Um, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And what's the best thing that came out of that? Wow.
1: That's a really good question. There'd probably be a tie or several things because that probably changes. But, uh, but I would say early on, uh, uh, being sexually abused, um, nobody knew about it. And I just buried it, and it went away. Um, and I think it was grace that it went away, because I don't think I could deal with it. But um, one day, actually in grad school and counseling, when we were writing some about our history, and try to that scene came up, and I was writing about it, like I was playing doctor or something like that. And my hands started shaking and I realized, oh.
2: I haven't dealt with this.
1: There's, that wasn't doctor. That's what we were studying. And um, years later, years later, um, that is one of the foundations uh, that I stand on. That loss, that grief, that pain, That craziness, that hiddenness, all those things that come with that are now, you know, the part of the rock that I can stand on to offer to other people who are terrified to bring that up. And it's that everybody has something they don't want to bring up because shame is stronger often than truth for a while. And but i get to sometimes i feel like a midwife and now i'm going to get <laughs> um midhusband i guess but <laughs> but but to help people birth that sorrow or that pain and to you know to watch it be lifted and to watch them feel free i always often say i'm really kind of a selfish person um i love to I love to do this because I get something out of it, and it's that seeing seeing that birth.
2: It's like Christmas, or it's like. Easter. Life. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's I. I remember that that happened to me as well. As I mean, it it wasn't super bad, but it, there was there was something in my past and didn't really. I don't think it affected me in yeah. in, in the drastic way you would think. But when you said that as we were talking I'm like oh me too and it was so easy to say because just being willing to open our box uh the Pandora's box of whatever and say hey here's all my here's all my garbage uh take a little bit just kind of allows the other guy to do it and as soon as it comes out of the thing oh yeah we both have this it really takes the power away from that I mean, not completely, but it takes the power away from that thing. And it, it keeps it from having that, that long-term effect. And yeah, you can stand on it. I mean, it's, it's so easy. It's so much easier to help people when you have a story. If you don't have a story, by the way, by the time you get turned 50, I'm worried you have heads in your freezer. You know, I, I, this, this life happens. I look around and I'm like, I feel like I've had been, had a little extra kick. In the ass than maybe than everyone, but everyone's had something. It's tough. Loss of your the loss of innocence has happened to everyone because at some point you realize this world is tough. Yeah, I mean everything. So at some point, the loss of innocence has happened for everyone, whether it's getting your heart broken or. And that's, that is.
1: What you grieve, yeah, that's what we all grieve, and that's part of the sorrow. And the more you know that, the better. So that was one question. What was the second one?
2: Well, the uh, what was the like that was that was the you had a tie because the question was what's it. the worst thing that ever happened to you and what's the best thing that ever. Gosh, that came from that. Oh, that came from that. I think the best thing that came from that
1: is, um, being able to uh, be a midwife. Share it. To share it, to, to walk people through that, to lock arms with someone who is dragging uh, their feet and can't really walk and go, wow, I think um, it, it's, it's great. There's, if we go back to the Bible stories, there's this place somewhere, probably Revelation, where um, you get to put your heel down on the neck of the serpent. And I go, I don't, I think at a certain level, when evil comes in and hurts people and is a part, whatever that means to you, is a part of hurting people. The most fun part is to say, You lost, you lost. There's a great scene in this book called, um, I just forgot it because I named the book. Um, anyway, it's by Pat Conroy in uh, a like, losing season no several there's oh, okay. another one um oh, come on. anyway I'll, I'll remember it tomorrow yeah tomorrow but there's this scene where this uh, family is in a little house in the woods this mother and her kids and this uh these evil men came in and did horrific things to them um, and while it was going on this one little boy looked up And he saw his older brother in the window who was not in the house at that time. He saw his brother looking in the window. And I remember, I will never forget this. He said, when I saw him, I knew that these men had chosen wrong when they chose our house. And I won't even tell you what happens, but put it this way. They chose wrong. And I think when I look at that, when I look at things that happen to people and they need hope, um, I always know God's in the picture and I go, the enemy, whatever evil is to you, um, chose wrong when he chose your house and you're going to find freedom. That
2: proves it. You said two things at my son's funeral that, and, and one of them was you picked the wrong family the devil, which I thought was great. That's probably the, where it came from. And the, and and it, the other one was uh the devil only thinks he won today, and it was uh, it it's kind of hard to be like, oh God, is this the good in this? It's still the days I'm like, oh, there is good, and we get the choice of that, and I, it's kind of like praying for God's will. You might as well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's gonna, gonna be happen. done. It's gonna happen yeah. anyway, right? So. Yeah. With, with this with this thing this grief this backpack of of you know it's funny um, it's just the, the grief doesn't shrink no. you, you just get stronger you, you carry it but whatever we do but the truth is that if it if it's already there, I'm going to take the good parts of these and I am going to wear them out. I am going to wear out the good parts. I, I mean, I'm go, I'm gonna I'm gonna chase it down. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm wide open with it. And there are people that are uncomfortable with, um, my sweet father-in-law is Irish Catholic, old school guy. But I know he's uncomfortable with talking about saints. Just well, guess what? I do it anyway, and he's pretty comfortable now. Yeah, I mean, just people that you can yeah. see. I'm going to talk about my son. He's not going to go anywhere. And and I mean, us sitting here, even having this conversation, if no one was watching, is proof that the devil only thinks he won because the truth is that I, you know, I should be shooting up in Amsterdam or whatever it might be left to my own devices. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird dark way to, uh, end this, (laughs) to say what I would be doing. But the truth is we're here in this, this bright, beautiful hot day in Nashville, Tennessee, just us sitting here talking about this subject is a miracle in itself. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, while we're cutting, I'd love to get the part where I said shooting up in Amsterdam. It's really kind of, really kind of fun. <laughs> oh, oh, <okay. laughs> what the? Oh. Whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Six, like, where did I go off? Uh, we maybe, know what you meant. Maybe I have a fantasy. Just, just, just the fact that we are sitting here on a beautiful day in Brentwood, Tennessee, is a miracle because my natural reaction to grief would have been never talking about this with someone sweet and kind like you ever again. And just blaming the world, everyone I could, including myself and, and beating all of us up. So that part of this really feels like a miracle.
1: Well, you know, it does to me too. Um, and there are two things I'm thinking of. One, neither of us really want to have this conversation, um, at one level. At another level, we do. Kind of do. Because it's pain that brought us here, but it's hope that brought us here more than that. But I'm curious, um, I'd really be interested in knowing how this whole conversation came about, because I know you're having it with other people. And if you were to ask me a few months ago, um, what's Brad going to do a podcast on?
2: I, I don't know if I would have said grief, but I'd, I'd, I don't even look like the person you want to hear about grief from. But, <laughs>
1: but actually you do, but, but I'm so glad, but I'd love to know how it
2: came about. So it's, well, you know, okay. So about two months ago, uh, Brett and I did a charity event in Austin, Texas, and um, our friend Jack Ingram invited us to go and, and he has a podcast and his podcast producer, Matt Pavito. Um We we met in the catering of this this show we were doing, and we got into this discussion. He had read something that I posted about Sage, which by the way, I've literally posted three things in my entire life. So, but they've all been about Sage. And um, he had also, we did a, a, a podcast with Jesus Calling or something. Anyway, we got to talking about he said i want to produce another podcast but i've been looking for the right thing and the right thing is you doing a podcast about grief and my of course initial reaction is hell no nice, but nice thanks nice to meet asking. you no absolutely not i'm trying to get less busy i plan on rotting at the beach soon i'm not doing this you know and uh as we talked um on the phone he lives in houston so he's literally been coming into nashville to, to do this um as we talked, I just was like, well, one thing is I, I'm not I don't I don't know like if God cares what kind of car you buy or where you live and all that stuff. But I kind of feel this nudging of like, hey, you're you're supposed to do this. And so my beautiful wife, as I was kind of telling her about conversations, in the morning we have coffee and talk about so I was telling her about my conversations with Matt about this podcast and about the idea that I thought it could help people and the idea that I thought if I had had something like this, the first three months of grieving, the first six months of grieving, I would have paid a lot of money for it. I would have just been nice to just hear people talking about, about this. And so I was kind of talking with her maybe the third time I brought it up and I said, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm awfully busy. And she goes, oh, no, no, you're doing this podcast. So to be honest, it's so you're doing, and the fact that we're doing it in my house means that she's really in because you know how <laughs> she is about her home. But um, and honestly, I I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this now, and I don't know. It's a, it's so odd for me to have pure intentions <laughs> because it's not my go-to, right? <laughs> um, I just want to help somebody. Just being there, like we talked about earlier, the service part of this, and I thought, man, if. I can help the, the guys in that room that were, and they helped me. Oh my God, they helped me more than I can help them. But I provide a room for us to sit in and we talk about this. There's bound to be somebody out there in YouTube land or wherever <laughs> it winds up that could, that could wind up benefiting from this. And I'll be honest, I've found a lot of, a lot of really nice things on YouTube from near death experiences to grief And I'm, I'm like, I, I think this is something worth sharing. So That's kind of a long answer to a short question, but um, I'm not sure what we're doing here. But I hope that it's helping someone.
1: I'm I'm sure it is. I'm I'm glad your wife nudged you. Probably shoved you. God nudged me. She shoved me (laughs) me in the right direction. You know, Brad. For years uh, we've gotten together, and because my wife is a poetry uh, freak. Freak is not the right word. She. Uh, Nita. Aficionado. Aficionado. That's so much better. I know her. You know her. (laughs) Aficionado is a better word. Um, She loves poetry and she finds poems about anything. And she has this vast treasury of them. And um, so as we've known each other, I remember now and then whipping out a poem or something. And I'm careful that it's not one you read in high school that you hated. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, I wouldn't remember it. <laughs> I know. But um, I brought one with me today. I yes. just happened to have it. Good. Because I, I thought, this is uh, this sums up what I feel about it. And it's a poem by, called Love, Sorrow. Like, love like you need to love it. Um, and it's by Mary Oliver, who, when you start reading her, you know, She knows. She knows life, and she knows the beauty and the pain of life. So it's called Love, Sorrow, um, and she, she um, lets sorrow be a little girl. Love, Sorrow, she is yours now, and you must take care of what has been given. Brush her hair, help her into her little coat, hold her hand, especially when crossing the street, for think, what if you should lose her? Then you would be sorrow yourself. Her drawn face, her sleeplessness would be yours. Take care. Touch her forehead that she feel herself not so utterly alone. And smile that she does not altogether forget the world before the lesson. Have patience and abundance. Do not ever lie or ever leave her even for a moment by herself. Which is to say, possibly again abandoned. She is strange, mute, difficult, sometimes unmanageable. But remember, she's a child and amazing things can happen. And you see and, and you may see as the two of you go walking together in the morning light, how little by little she relaxes. she looks about her, she
2: begins to grow. I love you, man. I appreciate you. love you. Man.
0: On behalf of Brad, his wife, Michelle, and segment producer, Lisa Bolt, thank you for listening. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren.